You're listening to the Propaganda Report. I'm Brad Binkley. Monica Perez is on a well-deserved vacation this week. She will be back next week, and we will be doing a Zoom party or Zoom roundtable, as I like to call them, on October 30th for patron saints. These are where we pick a specific topic and we pool the knowledge of our patron saints and have an enlightened roundtable discussion about the topic. Past topics have included off-grid living, natural health, de-documentation, cool stuff like that, homeschooling, a lot of fun stuff, a lot of great knowledge. So if you're interested in joining that, check out patreon.com slash propaganda report and you can check out the patron saint level. With me today to help out in Monica's absence is our good friend Cam, who just had a birthday that I missed. Yeah. So happy belated birthday, Cam. <laughs> Thank you. I'm just glad to be back in the Black Tank Club. You know, this is the, the Black Tank Top Club is definitely here today. I made sure to to put mine on. My Braves tank top, actually, my Braves hat, because my top story of the day would be that the Braves won game two. They beat the Dodgers. It was a great game, but I know hardly anybody listening to our show cares about that, so we will <laughs> quickly move on from that. But thank you for helping out with us today, Cam. Man, I hope you had a fantastic birthday. I know you got a new tat. We'll have to show that off sometime. It's a, a bear growling on your on your right arm. It looks fantastic. Yeah, I would like to state in advance, this is not any descriptor of my sexuality. I am still a straight man and not a bear. Fantastic. That thought had not popped into my mind until just that moment. <laughs> I want to make sure to give a shout out to a couple of your listeners because I went to the Tom Woods 2000 event this last weekend and I met two of your patrons, Matt Keck and James Gineman. And they took time out of their time talking to the big wigs in the Liberty world to, to speak to me. And uh, one guy came up and asked to look at my tattoos because he wanted to see them in real life. Not, not one of those two. But uh, they were just wonderful to meet, and you have the best listeners, and anyone who joins your Patreon uh, should feel honored that you let them. That is fantastic that you ran into some some folks down there. I heard that that was quite a party. I saw some of the photos. I was unable to attend, obviously, but I'll have to try and make the next one of those gatherings. I always love seeing those festival pictures. It always makes you want to go to the next gathering like that because it looks like it's just a lot of fun, and you get to finally meet the people that you are – been talking to digitally and through zoom for quite some time now cam and i have actually never met in person we've only met through zoom and through the other digital world so i look forward to meeting you in person one of these days cam oh yeah it'll be an epic hug and anyone who is near us will will, will probably be a themed moment for for when brad and, and cam meet <laughs> absolutely we'll have to capture that moment on on camera and <laughs> now that we've now that we've warmed up a little bit let's go into that <laughs> Lead story of the day, which I'm going to let you take it away, Cam. Well, of course, I'm a crass person. So when I uh, summarized the headline, I just wrote Colin Powell dead AF at 84. Um, Colin Powell, the, the guy who pushed for the war in Iraq, the, the guy who got in front of the UN and either was completely wrong or lied to get us into the war in Iraq, passed away today from COVID complications. And so I found this interesting for a number of reasons. Because for, for the first time I've seen suddenly uh, comorbidities and um, immuno uh, problems with the immune system suddenly matter because he was double vaccinated. He had both, both shots of the vaccine, but he died of COVID complications. And so there was a lot of uh, scrambling by the cathedral and by the press to kind of make it so that these things, comorbidities, all of a sudden matter. 
And uh, I think my favorite thing was that someone said that Colin Powell didn't die because of it essentially was he didn't die because of the vaccination. He died because you were unvaccinated. So anyone who's unvaccinated now has the power to kill uh, people who start war with other countries and kill millions of people. So maybe that's that's our superpower. <laughs> I did notice that theme where they are blaming vaccinated deaths on the unvaccinated when there is no evidence to they don't ever point to the evidence to support that claim they just kind of make the blanket claim the media runs with it and that becomes a story when the reality is there's not a concrete base other than everybody says it so i do question whether or not that was the case because they don't actually know how he got it. They don't actually say how he got it. They don't point to where he got yep. it. They don't point to who gave it to him. They just say that it was somebody who was unvaccinated. And it's very suspicious the way the media joins together to sing that without evidence. And anytime they're pushing a common theme like that and they're providing absolutely zero evidence of it or pointing specifically to where it came from, then that should raise red flags. And it does in my opinion. And as for his death, I, you know, anytime anybody dies, I feel for the people who care about them because I, I, he, he made a lot of uh, policies. I disagreed with the war in Iraq, the propaganda surrounding that. I definitely, it's one of the first, one of the first cases of propaganda that I really dug into years and years ago, but there's people in his life that are suffering and uh, pray for them, pray for his soul. And speaking of vaccine related news, which seems to be all is in the news lately is the mandate war continues. We're seeing it play out in universities. We're seeing it play out Southwestern airlines, or maybe it's not playing out. They say that it's kind of a, a, a phantom vaccine war. Cause they're trying to act like that has nothing to do with the, the vaccine mandates, the pilots walking off the Chicago police union. They have passed the deadline to show their, their reporting. They're, they were supposed to show their vaccine mandate cards by last Friday, and over 3,000 officers have not shown it. And this despite them receiving threatening memos over the past few days telling them that if they refuse to, they will go into a no-pay status immediately, and even threatening that any officer who refuses will be subject to an investigation that could result in a penalty up to and including separation from the police force. So in Chicago, you know, where they don't need police officers at all, they're threatening to fire 3,000 police officers over a vaccine mandate. I just get the sense that they want to cause chaos by getting rid of, fr of frontline workers, of, of nurses and doctors, of police officers where they're needed the most. It seems like they want this chaos to, to rise up. I agree. Well, and it's 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 it bears repeating that the people that they called heroes, the people that they called um, superheroes, the frontline workers, the people who were in retail or in um, you know restaurants or nurses, doctors, these were all heroes. They were hailed as heroes for a, a good time because they were fighting the good fight against COVID. But as soon as they go, I'm not comfortable with this vaccine they become the enemy and there are these mass layoffs and they have uh, people who are quitting. I mean, there are a lot of people who are out of work right now. And I don't know if you heard it. I mentioned it at some point, but at one point Joe Biden said, uh, you're going to hear a lot of stuff about mass firings or um, mass layoffs or whatever, 
but you, what you what you need to pay attention to is the fact that, and he named a specific company, I think it was an airline company, is now 95% um, vaccinated, where before they were 58% vaccinated. And I'm like, that's because you fired them. That's because yeah, you you're get the rid of the guy. people who aren't. So that's how you raise that percentage. You don't actually get more to do it. And has there been any evidence to show that mandates are effective in preventing anything? I haven't seen anything yet. Perhaps I've missed some studies that have come out, but I'm on the lookout for those. Anybody who's seen them, please send them my way. Yeah, well, and, and if you look at the kind of the grand scheme of things, um, like if you look at Flor Florida right now, uh, New York Times had a little interactive map of the case number per capita. And Florida, of the 50, 48 contiguous states, has the lowest case number per capita of COVID cases. Oh, wow. And, and DeSantis, love him, hate him, uh, think he's a spook, whatever, has been demonized for going against these things. Yet right now, Florida sits at the top of the heap of doing the best. So I don't think the mandates work. <laughs> You know, it certainly seems that way. I, I, I can't say definitively. I'm sure it's being studied. This is all a big social, psychological, medical experiment that we're all experiencing right now. This is the clinical trial in, in effect. And the fact that I, I, I just think that either the mandates are going to fail because I think they are failing because so many people are resisting them. Or they want they want people to quit because they want to just completely destabilize the country by taking the most essential workers, as they were called, and pulling them away from their jobs by forcing them to quit because they're trying to put those mandates on them. I mean, like we've talked about before, this would be a great time for parallel markets and parallel economic strategies to come up. I would love to see these doctors that got fired start their own practices, maybe even cash practices. To kind of help people spend a little bit less on healthcare, but Absolutely. we'll see how people react. Um, one picture I saw because you mentioned Chicago, uh, there was a picture that I saw on Twitter um, that was going around, and it's a uh, Seattle police uh, SUV, and hanging from it is a Gadsden flag. Apparently, the police in Seattle are not happy with the mandate either. And but this is one of those moments when you see a picture, and it's like a, it's like the flip side of a coin. Because on one, you're like, yes, people are starting to kind of wake up and fight against this and say, don't tread on me. But at the same time, these are the same Seattle police that made sure restaurants were closed or that people, you know, didn't go and work out or didn't go to work. So it's like, yeah, it's great, but it's really sad to me that in order for someone to say, don't tread on me, they are only looking at when it affects them. And if we could actually come back as people and go let's look at who it affects across the board the people that are below me maybe we could do a bit better but I, I i do think it's a little funny that they're a little mad that they're not the ones uh doing the treading right now <laughs> and i think it's interesting too because the the fact of enforcement we've talked about this a little bit but that is a question that's come up is who is going to really be the ones to enforce these? Is it going to be the, the bosses at the companies? Is it going to be police? Is it going to be national guard? Who are they going to get to be able to enforce these? I think that's ultimately where the mandates fail because I just don't believe that you're going to have enough people with enough power who are willing to enforce vaccine mandates. I'm not seeing that happening. They could try it could end badly. I just don't think it's going to happen. 
Yeah, I think that the enforcement mechanism is not leaning in their direction. And I think they know that. I think that, uh, did you, I, I think y'all talked about it last week, but did you see that uh, Sanjay Gupta, is that his name, went on Joe Rogan? I did. And and it, Joe, Joe Rogan was just like, why are you lying? And there was this beautiful moment where on Twitter, the argument wasn't about whether or not um, CNN uh, th there was no one that was going, oh, yeah, they told the full truth. It was either did they deliberately mislead or did they lie or did they in unintentionally mislead? And so it was all in the end, they were doing the wrong thing. And a lot of people were talking about it. And so that for me is a great thing to see that people are going, hey, obviously this wasn't true. Yeah, I always get curious when somebody like Sanjay Gupta, who I called Sanjay Duptya last week because he was definitely <laughs> trying to pull a fast one on on cnn's audience anyway when he went back and did his interview with don lemon and he totally yeah. just was just a slimy backstabber basically if you look at his interview mm -hmm. with joe rogan even though he was slimy there too he kind of was like well maybe i should have said something about them lying to you but you go back and he's on cnn and he's saying yeah i mean yeah obviously joe rogan is a, is a monkey taking horse pace just completely <laughs> going back and I just get curious about, I know that it is beneficial to have somebody like him come on your show because you want to drill and you want to ask those questions. But I just get real curious about those those angles of propaganda when those big figures yeah. who are such propaganda heads do get on those platforms. Although it seemed like Gupta is the one who went and tried to get on Joe Rogan's show. I'm not 100% certain like that about that, but that's what it seemed like when I watched the podcast, but I, I, I don't really know. Yeah. It, well, and, and that was the thing. I watched the thing with Don Lemon right afterwards. And I, I, I don't know if they planned it or that was part of their propaganda or what, obviously they were going to try to use it as propaganda. I do think if it was, it only, it failed for anyone, but their most ardent supporters and disciples. I'm starting to wonder who actually watches CNN other than people like me and, and maybe you who kind of hate watch them. I, I think that <laughs> might make up the majority of their audience. I just don't know too many people who fully buy into it. But then again, maybe I'm not as exposed to people who are that into it as I used to be when things were more opened up and I was going out to theaters more and I was seeing some of my progressive friends more than I am seeing them now. Cause I know that they still still do buy into some of this stuff, but I guess I'm just not I, hearing some of their propaganda or some of their talking points as often. I will say, I, I forget who it was. It was one of the view women, I believe they talked about this situation with Joe Rogan and they, uh, the guy said to her, he has 200 million uh, listeners CNN on the on a good day will only have between what half a million and four that's a like, great point he, he he has much further reach and so yeah I, I know they wanted to use this to bolster their point and say what they wanted to say and kind of argue with them but I think that what I was looking at when it happened where there were a couple of people that I knew that were like oh man, you know, you got to give props to Sanjay Gupta for going on there and having this conversation. And I was like, no, no, no. First off, I'll never, I'll never do that for a corporate ever. media journalist ever. I'll never do that. Uh, but I was like, just watch. And then like the, the next day he had that thing with Don Lemon and it was like, there you go. There you go. He's turning it right back around. There was you know, I hadn't thought about, about that. that. The broader audience is beneficial to them. And Sanjay Gupta did say in the article that he wrote, which he framed as though he were, 
cornered like a victim to Joe Rogan, the, the gorilla who might come out, come and just attack him. He did say, if I just got through to a handful of people, that's, that's all that matters because yeah. he's so and noble. The fact that Joe Rogan's audience, which I'm, it goes outside of the United States, but that it's two thirds, essentially two thirds of the population of the United States is huge. And so uh, hopefully that moment when he, uh, Joe Rogan was, was bashing CNN, a, you know, a couple hundred million people heard it and their minds started to change a little bit more. I hope so, too. And that transitions perfectly into the next story I want to talk about. Talking about Sanjay Gupta and CNN transitions perfectly into talking about Nazis. And there's been a lot of stories about Nazis lately, and I think that's intentional. There's been stories about people in Germany flying the Nazi—not flying the Nazi flag— flying the confederate flag instead of the nazi flag because the nazi flag is not allowed so they fly the confederate flag instead because i think they're trying to tie nazism with confederate with those symbols to tie them together so that they can then cast anybody who is a january 6th a trump type person as a nazi and i think they want to make that a worldwide global enemy a global threat is what i think they're trying to create there and we have another story related to Nazis that uh, I noticed <laughs> in the news today. This one was about a it was a biker festival. It was Biketoberfest at Daytona Beach, Florida. <laughs> These type of events are perfect events for somebody to go put on a bunch of Nazi stuff and pretend just to try and demonize these groups. And a vendor caused outrage when they were selling hats featuring Nazi symbols and imagery. What symbols? They just say were, they only say Nazi symbols. Did, were they, they were they thunderbolts? The SS I've, thunderbolts? I believe that was one of them. Yeah, yeah. Because I, this is something that I I need to point out to some people is um, first off I want to just quick rewind uh, in when they were fighting when the Russians were fighting against the Soviet Union they also used Confederate flags because to them it was a symbol of rebellion against uh, a bad government which I find fascinating but. You do remember, like uh, I don't know if I don't know if Sid Vicious did it, but in the punk scene, when they weren't Nazis, they would still use Nazi, um, you know, iconography symbols as a as a way to kind of give the middle finger to the culture at large, and that was also in the the biker community. And so there are people that have the um, the SS Thunderbolts on the side of their bike or on a patch, and they some of them are Nazis or at least kind of racist assholes. Excuse my French. I don't know if that's allowed. <laughs> I always forget if that's allowed, but um, there are a lot of people who use it as a countercultural pushback point. And so like in biker culture and in punk culture, at least back in the day, these are hardly synonymous with actual Nazis at times. So I just wanted to say that, but go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, there are other ways that these symbols are used, and there's symbols that look similar but aren't the very the exact symbol, right. which, of course, if you want to be in the clear, you probably want to steer away from all of those, yeah. especially right now in, in this day and time. But it was an SS symbol like you were you were asking. That was one of them. It's super, super prevalent in biker culture. So it's like that's like picking a fight with something you know is going to be there. Yeah, and that's exactly the the point. I think what the vendor who was identified only as Jenny, they could not get any other information about the vendor other than Jenny. her name was Jenny. Yeah, Jenny, 
she told the local news outlet that the merchandise was not reflective of racism on her part, saying that the swastika logoed hats were a tribute to veterans of World War II and that selling them at other bike rallies never sparked any complaints. Now that, to me, maybe that's a legitimate person. Maybe it's not. But this is the problem right now, is we have... A revelation of the activist method has occurred over the past couple of years. More and more people have become familiar with what activists do and how activists stir things up, how they bird dog, which is that going, which is like going to get punched in the face on purpose, antagonizing somebody till they punch you in the face. You have your buddy film it, then you put it all over social media. All these methods of activism have become prevalent. More people are trained in using them, and more people are organizing on Facebook and other platforms to go do them. And one of those methods is that. You dress up and pretend to be what the worst horrible representation of another group could possibly be. And then you go do things that get blamed on that group. And with that being something, it's like a false flag, basically. It's a false flag of activism. And with people doing that all the time, it's like these hate hoax crimes, kind of. A lot of these hate hoax crimes that we've seen that get blamed on whatever group, and then it turns out six months later, they discover that it was actually somebody in the opposing group pretending to be something that they weren't, is if we continue to allow the worst representations of a certain group, whatever whatever meeting or, or organization or event, if we continue to judge them by the worst person there or the worst act that occurs there, and we judge the whole group by that act, then we are going to continue to be under siege by these propaganda and activist tactics. And we are going to be missing the actual messages that people are putting out there because there will always be a taint agent, as Monica calls it. Go into these groups, you try and taint those groups and blind us to what's actually going on, to the real communication, the real messaging. And it's a divide and conquer, ta conquer tactic that is very effective because it's very emotional. So we have to stop doing it. We just have to, as people gain the strength to not allow that to happen, especially even if it happens on the left or the right, it doesn't matter. We have to resist the urge to judge the entire group by that worst action because that is how we never communicate and continue to fight, especially with this being such a prominent tactic used right now. Yeah, tying Nazis into a what would be considered a super spreader event is you expect that. You expect that. What you don't expect is that you do this and then... New York Times has to say that Florida has the lowest COVID cases per capita. Like, what are you going to do? You just preparing for two weeks from now, or you just did you just fail? Like, that's that's what. I, and I think that everyone. And I'm not saying that hate crimes and things against you know prejudiced crimes don't happen. Yeah. But if your first thought when you hear about this kind of thing isn't what's the real story or what's the whole story, you need to change that. Because Absolutely. I mean, what was the what was the guy's name? The NASCAR driver who found a noose in his uh, garage, and it was how all of the pull downs were always tied in yeah, every single yeah. thing. I can't remember or, his name, um, but I do remember that story. But or the the time there was the the guy who um, spray painted Trump on the side of a church building and burned it down, and it was his church, and mm -hmm. he was against Trump. Or the guy who um, uh, what's his name? Jesse Smollett. Or uh the the, the, uh, the of... gravestones the, the swastikas on the gravestones getting the gravestones getting kicked over i used to track these for a couple of years till i realized they almost always turn out to be yeah. a hoax and that's not yeah. like your point that there are crimes that are horrible that happen but it's just a matter of not 
letting that initial propaganda, emotionally charged propaganda intended to divide, capture us and seeing the evidence through following the story because they will put they don't care. They're not going to follow it up for you. They were they will not follow up and tell you the truth about it once it's revealed. Yeah, it is okay to slow down and hear the whole story before you you firm up your opinion. It's like I I talked to um, Monica on the show when that Brian Laundry and uh, Gabby Petito thing started, and at that point I had no, I didn't have enough information. I said it could be anything. Here's some of the stuff that we've been told might not be anything bad, but it looks very much like it was him now. And I can I can say that with some certainty. You know, she didn't strangle herself. You know, but. Yeah. At that point, I, I couldn't stay it. I couldn't state it. And so I didn't. And it's okay to do that. It's Absolutely. okay to not state it. Totally. All right. Before we get to our last big story of the free 30, which is going to be about the upcoming Ahmad Aubrey case in Georgia and the potential nationwide implications of that trial, I want to tell you what we're going to talk about in the DMBXR, which is TikTok's latest dangerously stupid challenge and how it's being studied. And you've heard of Godzilla versus Kong, but have you heard of Hombre versus Charging Bull? We'll tell you all about it. And of course, a big thank you to our sponsor of today's show, The Rye Guys. Do you love freedom? Does the daily news leave you shaking your head? Does mindless conformity give you the heebie-jeebies? Are you surrounded by people who just don't get it? Are you right now wearing clothes? You over there, yes, you, do you like cool clothes? Well, meet the Rye Guys, makers of fun, freedom-loving t-shirts and more, quality products for independent thinkers and other such troublemakers. We make each of our handcrafted tees with equal parts satire, mischief, and rye social commentary. Put on one of our tees and you'll meet kindred spirits, share a laugh, and enjoy great great conversation. Take off one of our tees and, well, we're not here to judge you. We support liberty, peace, and voluntary solutions to societal ills. And you have our word, our products are never tested on animals other than sacred cows. So, stop by today at www.ryguys.com. That's W-R-Y-G-U-Y-S dot com. Ryguys.com. The Rye Guys. A rye wit for today's sh- Rye Guys have fantastic t-shirts. Check them out, ryguys.com. Support us by supporting our sponsors. And also check us out on Patreon. For $7 a month, you can get the full 45-minute commercial-free DMB as well as featured Friday interviews and patron-only Q&As. And you also get more access to Monica and I and the community as well, the highly intelligent, very good-looking Propaganda Report community on Patreon. So, Check it out, patreon.com slash propaganda report. Check out the tiers there. Now on to the final story of the free 30. All right, so you remember the Ahmad Aubrey case that was maybe a year and a half ago or so. It came out right before the George Floyd protest went, kind of exploded. And it was one of the stories that fueled the George Floyd protest, not as much as the others, but it was one of them. It was a racially divisive, racially charged story is where three white men, one of them was a former police officer, the other is his son, and the other was a guy who joined in kind of halfway through filming the act where they chased down a guy named Ahmad Aubrey, a kid who was well, he's about 25, I believe, at the time, who was running around the neighborhood at the time. This is in Brunswick, Georgia. And ultimately, they shot and killed Aubrey after attempting to stop him from running. And the son, Travis McMichael, got into a confrontation, a fight over the gun, and ended up shooting and killing 
Aubrey. Now, the three men charged in the killing are George Gregory McMichael, Travis McMichael, and William Bryan. Bryan is the guy who joined in the chase and filmed it halfway through. The charges that they're being charged with are malice murder, felony murder, two counts of aggravated assault, and one count of false imprisonment. More on that in a moment. Now, the defense is arguing that the McMichaels thought that Aubrey was responsible for a series of burglaries that had occurred in the neighborhood, and they were trying to detain Aubrey under Georgia's citizen's arrest law and only resorted to, to violence when Aubrey fought over the possession of the gun. Georgia has since repealed that citizen's arrest law, and the prosecution is basically arguing that Aubrey was jogging, had no connection to the burglaries, and that the killings were racially motivated. Now, to that point about it being racially motivated, the there is a federal charge that all three have been indicted for. It's a federal hate crime, interference with the rights, with his rights, which is specifically claiming that the defendants use force and threats of force to intimidate and interfere with Aubrey's rights to use a public street because of his race. And I think that is why this story is going to be probably one of the biggest, most divisive stories that we have seen in a— or, cases, trials, and stories that we've seen in a very long time because they have been wanting to kind of codify, codify hate crimes, codify mm -hmm. hate in a specific language, specific profile. We see it on Facebook. They want to regulate the the AI to to track down what specifically hate is on Facebook. We see it with this new framing of what a domestic terrorist is, which is basically somebody who might have gone to the Capitol on January 6th. Everything that's been going on the past, I don't know, couple of years has had that hate theme woven into it. And this case right here, they have a winner, I think. They, they have what, at least public relations-wise, can be – easily portrayed as three dudes who may very well be racist driving around a neighborhood and then ultimately killing a black guy who was, they say, just jogging. Now, there's a lot of complicated. This thing about the stories is very complicated, but it won't be presented yeah. as very complicated. A lot of the complicated stuff they're trying to get removed from the trial. So yeah. it, this is a really complicated case, and it's going to be hard for people to talk about because anytime people talk about it, they're going to be charged with taking one side or another. And I think that's the point of, of putting so much focus on this case is we're going to see this politicized trial that it, it, people are going to be hanging on every, every limb of it. And protests are already being arranged. In fact, okay. the city and county officials bracing for this wave of protest, they've been training and preparing for this unrest since July. So they, for months, they've been preparing for the unrest that's going to happen on a case that's just now doing jury selection. Jury selection will take about two weeks. going to be tough to get a fair jury, which means it's going to be tough to get. Uh, this could blow up, and yeah. this is one to keep your keep an eye on. I agree, and it, it, it makes me think of that old South Park episode about hate crimes. Do you, do you remember that one from back in the day? Well, it was it, like I it was when I was younger and kind of before I thought about hate crimes at all, so it was kind of funny that that kind of made me think about it but hate crimes is it's how do you prove a thought because that's what it is it's it's a hate crime is not about what you did it's about what you thought about while you were doing it or while you planned it it's they're very strange laws that are essentially thought 
thought laws, their thought crimes. It's about what the person was thinking or how they felt about a specific person or type of person while they were doing it. So it's, 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 this one could be interesting. I, I don't know how they prove it. I don't know how you prove someone's thoughts in that moment, unless they said them out loud. I don't know how you I agree. prove it, but it, it could be very, very bad because every, I mean, I don't like racism or prejudice. I'm not, I'm not in that camp, but at the same time, I am against legislating and punishing people for thought crime. I'll always and be against that. I think that's what this boils down to is trying to create a more concrete way to identify what a hate crime is. That won't come out of the trial here because they I think they there's a good chance they could be found guilty of some of these charges to spend perhaps the rest of their lives in jail. But the federal charge of the hate crime, I think solidifying what can be identified as that could be part of the overall bigger purpose here. And one example is the defense is trying to prevent the fact that one of the kid, I think the kid, the guy who actually shot Ahmad, has a a license plate that has like on the border of it a uh, Confederate flag. Now, that doesn't mean somebody is racist. It doesn't. I'm from Alabama. I can tell you that for certain. It doesn't mean somebody is racist. <laughs> the defense wants to keep that fact out of the case. And obviously the prosecution wants to have it in. That could be the type of thing where in the future, federally, what's an identifier of a hate crime? Mm. Somebody that has a license plate that has a Confederate flag on it. Something or a like Gadsden flag because they're trying to demonize that one now. A gas. What is the Gadsden flag? It's the uh, the snake flag that says "Don't tread on me." Don't tread on me. Yeah, right. They've tried to demonize that over the last couple of years. They try to tie it into one six. They've tried to tie it across the board. So I mean, that is steps away. An a, a a true American flag that it wasn't tied to slavery. It was tied to the war. It was tied to fighting England. Is just minutes away from becoming a hate symbol. And that is where this leads when you start making symbols like that as hate crime symbols. Now, we already know the swastika is like that because that was associated yeah. with Nazi Germany. We spoke about that earlier. But this case is going to be really, really interesting to see what comes out of it. I worry about that town of Brunswick, Georgia, of what's going to happen there with protests afterwards or even in Atlanta and around the country because we see now with protests being digital, being organized digitally, you can organize protests in every city around the country and have them spontaneous, spontaneously combust all at one time, as we saw with George Floyd. So let's hope that they keep the peace in Brunswick yeah. and we'll let's see hope what that happens. Soros money doesn't go to bricks and, Good and gosh. Molotovs. I completely agree <laughs> there. All right. We do have a quick shout out that I want to give before we get out of here. Uh, this is from Laura and this shout out is for Monica, but Monica asked that I read it today and I will. It says, Monica, I will be jonesing for your specialized view of the crazy circus tent with all the rings of crazy we're watching play out. While I have drastically reduced the propaganda flow from my eyes and ears, I still peek behind the curtain. Boy, it's icky. So thanks for your willingness to wade into the quagmire to keep us informed. We all have our gifts and we are 
and we are gifts to one another. Oh, that's very sweet. And a special thanks to you for giving us the ability to look at things with another lens of discernment. Please do your best to unplug from it all while enjoying your time with Ricardio. You more than deserve it. I believe that was for Monica while she is enjoying her vacation. So thank you, Laura. That was, uh, that was very cool. All right, you guys can find your Drive Time News Blast every weekday afternoon at thepropreport.com or your favorite podcasting platform or the Propaganda Report podcast feed. If you want access to that extra content I was telling you about, go to patreon.com slash propaganda report and check out our tiers there. We will talk to y'all in the DNB XR or tomorrow. Have a fantastic rest of your day and check out Cam's podcast, The Mad Ones. Yeah, we're, we're talking to an exorcist this week. It should be pretty dang interesting. Interesting.